1974, there was a boxing uh, world championship fight that was held in Africa. Uh, Muhammad Ali called it the, the Rumble in the Jungle. And it was, uh, he was trying to regain his heavyweight title. It had been taken away from him uh, for legal reasons. He had been uh, convicted but never actually imprisoned. That's another issue. And, uh, and the new heavyweight champion of the world was George Foreman. George Foreman uh, was just a huge bruiser, hit hard. And Ali was past his prime. He really was. Everybody knew it. Uh, as a matter of fact, in his locker room before the fight, his uh, manager and, and his trainers were looking at him with such long faces that he began to cheer them up. This is going to be okay, guys. We're going to dance. And as it went out to fight, Ali quickly hit George Foreman in a way that would insult him. It was a terrible blow. It was weak. It was just to make him look bad. And Foreman began to beat him so badly that sports writers looked at each other. It's a famous picture. You can see it. Two sports writers looked at each other and said, the fix is in. This is not going around. And what Ali did was he leaned back against the ropes, and he covered himself up like this and just let Foreman go to town on him. Round after round after round out in the heat. And halfway through the fight, Foreman was completely out of gas. And Ali started talking to him. And he said, what's wrong, George? They told me you could hit hard, George. You okay? And Foreman finally just reached back and swung as hard as he could. And Ali slipped back from it. And Foreman started stumbling. And without Ali touching him, went to the ground and was out. He, Ali let Foreman punch himself out. Amazing feat. I've got good news for you. When Jesus gave himself up to be tempted, betrayed, crucified, when he gave himself up to death and burial, he was letting Satan hit him with everything he had and Satan exhausted all of his resources and when Jesus when he was done Jesus looked at him and said is that all and when he got up from the tomb he once and for all defeated sin he defeated death and he defeated the one who holds the power of death and we no longer live in fear to them Jesus has defeated sin death and the one who holds the power of death so that we no longer live in fear. His victory is forever and ever. Please stand as we read this text from Colossians 2 and we'll see that Jesus is not only defeated, he has humiliated Satan and all those who stand against us. Hear the word of the Lord. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. 
In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. All men are like grass. This is the the effect of death. I want you to hear this. This is what it means to live in a world that is dominated by death. All men are like grass. All of our glory is the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. Jesus has defeated once and for all sin, he has defeated death, and he has defeated the one who holds the power of death, Satan. He has conquered and humiliated them all. Now, why do I want to teach on this? I I want to spend four weeks looking at spiritual warfare because I think most of us live with a misunderstanding of the cosmos that we live in, okay? Uh, it's weird, but in our day, it's, it's easier to say, it's less embarrassing to say that you believe in God than it is to say you believe in Satan. Um, pretty much everybody believes in some form of God or another, but nobody really believes in Satan. A, a personal, malevolent, intelligent being who holds the power of sin. And we don't believe in evil. And it's, it's so weird. I mean, it, it seems like there would be, if nothing else, evil is the thing you ought to believe in. Really. I mean, if, if someone carries a, a gun into a nursery school and begins shooting children, where else is that coming from but evil? Where else? I mean, and... And Satan does a good job of keeping us distracted and, you know, wondering if there's Satan worshipers out there and giving us movies like The Exorcist and, and you know, surely Dungeons and Dragons is satanic and, and those kind of things. And we don't even pay attention to the evil that is all around us. And, and, and the result of that, the, the weird result of that, and this is, this is the real reason why I wanted to teach on this, is because since we don't believe in evil, we blame everything on God. And so we, we want to say, well, what kind of God would allow this? What kind of God would do that? What good is a God who allows evil? Because we don't understand what the Bible tells us about the world that we live in. And so I want to spend some time, just, just a few weeks, talking about that. And I want to start out by explaining very clearly that, yes, Jesus has defeated them once and for all. The first thing he has defeated is sin. Sin is a real thing. Our definitions of sin usually come up far short. We think of sins as, you know, bad things that we do. And so when we confess sins, we, we, can, we confess the lie we told our mother or the, uh, 
you know, the, the time we stole a nickel out of the offering plate or whatever. But sin has a much more sinister background to it. And the question that we ought to be asking ourselves to figure it out is, why did we do those things? And the reason why we did those things is because sin itself, as the Bible describes it, is a powerful thing. It exists. And you're dead in it. You, by nature, are born in it. You are dead in it. What does our, our text this morning say? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. It is, it is destroyed. It's killed us so that everything we do is, is, is tainted uh, by sin. It's this infection inside of us. And all the, the outward actions, our, our gossip, our rumors, our slander, our greed, our covetousness, our envy, uh, when someone else has something good happen to them and we hate them for it, all of that stuff is a result of that infection that's just coming out. Um, St. Augustine said that before we are born again, we're unable not to sin. Everything is tainted by it. It's this, this tumor inside of us that's sending out death. It's, you know, when, when I was raising my children, I would, I would talk to them about that feeling. I remember having to discipline one of my children because he got so angry at a birthday party for another one that he began snatching gifts away. And I, and I took him to his room and I said, you know that, that feeling in your heart? It's just so mad that people are happy for your brother and not for you right now. That's called sin. That's called sin, son. That's, that's why we confess to God. That's what we're asking God to heal us from. To get, that's why we ask for a new heart. The first time sin is mentioned in the Bible, it's, it's personified. God asked Cain, where's your brother? Actually, it's before Cain kills Abel. Let me rephrase that. God asked Cain, what are you about to do? And he said, sin is crouching at the door. Interesting picture. Sin is crouching at the door. James says uh, that, that we are not tempted by God. We're tempted by our own desires. And our own desires give, lead, entice us and, and pull us away. The, the word is like of a of a fish hook in your mouth. It's pulling you away, leading you to sin, which then gives forth to death. But I want you to know that Jesus fought that. At the heart of sin is the desire to put self first. God's second at best and others last. And Jesus wrestled with it every day of his life and every day he put others First, he loved others. And when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before the night he was betrayed, the night before he was crucified, he started to pray. And in that prayer, he was fighting against sin with all of his might. And he was begging the Lord, Don't make me do it. Don't make me go to the cross. And his Father in heaven was standing before him with a very simple proposition Will you do this? simply because you love them more than you love yourself. Will, you don't have to. You're not guilty of anything. You're more powerful than these people. You can, you can refuse to do it if you want to, but will you give yourself up simply because you love them more than you love yourself? 
And Jesus submitted his will to his Father and did what his Father wanted him to do. And in that, he defeated death for, he defeated sin forever. He paid for our sins because death is the penalty for sin and he did it for us. He didn't have to do it for himself. He paid the debt. Look at this text again. It's so beautiful. In verse 14, he canceled the record of debt that stood against us. He canceled the record of debt. Our mortgage has been paid. Our mortgage has been paid. I'll never forget the phone call I got when, when my mom's mortgage had been paid off. Some anonymous person paid it off for her. And she was so excited. She said, I've never been this happy in my life. That, that debt that hangs over us, that, that we can't pay, it's gone. We're free. And what does that mean for us in reality, in, in, in our day-to-day life? It means that we are no longer dead in sin. But we have been raised to the newness of life. We have put off this body of sin. We have the powerful working of God within us. God has made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. That means we are able now not to sin. We are able not to sin. And the the day is coming when this sin will be completely eradicated and we won't be able to sin anymore. That is the day we're looking forward to. But for now... We're new. We're alive. We're not a slave to it anymore. You have the ability to say no. It might be hard. But you have the ability to say no. Second thing is he defeats death because sin is the power of death. What does Paul cry out? Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. Since the death has lost its sting, it's been defeated as well. Now, we live, again, death, let's talk about it for a second. Death is this, this failing of the world, the entire world, not just us, but the entire world is dying. Yes, we're dying. Every morning I find a new wrinkle, find a new mole. So glad I'm not dating. Just can't imagine, you know, telling somebody new, hey, you mind if we stop by the drugstore because... I've got cancers growing all over me. Um, you know, it's, we're dying. And we live in a world that's dying. It's running down. And every, everything we touch is dying. You know what, what that means? Let me, let me clarify what I mean. It means that you never get the joy out of this world that you think you ought to get you always feel something missing. Uh, Russell Brand said it the best. Russell Brand is a comedian. He is gorgeous, I'm told. I don't think men are gorgeous, but people tell me he is. He's exorbitantly wealthy. He is famous. He has all the things that you think would make you happy. And he's miserable. And he says the reason why he's a recovering heroin addict, he says, heroin's not my problem. Heroin's my answer. Life is my problem. I have a life problem. Heroin is how I deal with it. If the guy who's got... Look, I have to use examples like him, right? Because if I told you being beautiful is not enough, you'd look at me and go, how would you know? But Russell Brand's here going, I've got it all. Everything you think you want, I've got. And I'm telling you, life is so awful, I can only deal with it through heroin. 
because it's dying. This world is dying. And we live in, with this anxiety of trying to figure out what we're missing. We're, we go from thing to thing trying to figure out what we're missing, why we don't feel fulfilled, why we don't feel con- continual joy. What's wrong with us? When you're a, a teenager, you, you first began kind of wondering, what's wrong with me? Why don't, why don't I feel the way I, I know I ought to feel? And we began looking from thing to thing and, and focusing on different things. And is it, is it my friends? Is it my, my body? For decades, we, we just struggled with teenagers hating their bodies to the point of, of starving them to death. And now we live in a, in a generation that's beginning to question, is it their sexuality? Is that what's wrong with them? I read just a a terrible article by a transgender man who says the the worst thing that ever happened to him was being born a man. He's he's locating all of the miseries of this life in his gender. The worst thing that ever happened to him was that Adam and Eve sinned and that this world is fallen and broken. And and, And life here does not satisfy will not satisfy. Amy Winehouse, the night that she won a Grammy. How about to being on top of the world? Winning a Grammy? That would be pretty cool. I can't even sing. I couldn't win a Grammy in a karaoke bar. Well, the night that she won a Grammy, she just called her friend. She was in the backseat of the limo, called her friend. Her friend was congratulating her, and she said, life is just so boring without drugs. The, the world does, is broken. It is dying. But the good news for you is that Jesus, when he went into the tomb, the death had no sting. And so he went in there to destroy it, and he blew a hole out of the backside of the tomb so that the grave for us is simply a portal. And he promises, he makes two promises. One is to shepherd us. He is our good shepherd who leads us through this valley of darkness. He leads us even through the valley of the shadow of death, which is a good way to describe all of our life. It's a walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Everything we touch has been touched by death. Everything we see is is dying, and Jesus promises to walk us through it and will comfort us in the deepest, darkest valleys. He's there. And he has blown a hole on the other side of it so that when we go through that portal, there is a whole new life waiting. A real life, a resurrected life with real people. So that those we've had to say goodbye to, we'll, we will be able to hold again and love them again. And it's not permanent. That's the promise. And some of us say, well, why did he promise us through death? Why don't you just promise, why don't you just take death away? Why don't you just make life forever and ever? And I, and I want to look at you and go, do you really want that? You want an eternity of this? Really? I can't imagine. It's kind of funny, but I just can't imagine anything more discouraging than reincarnation. The idea we get to do this again and again and it, really? This? This is all I got to look forward to? And Jesus says, no. He says, I, found, I have found a new country that is beyond the grave. Follow me. Trust me. 
We don't have to live in fear of death anymore. We, we lean upon Him and we trust Him. And so our lives are infused with hope. Hope that things are going to get better. Hope that our best days are always in front of us. Hope that, that as we move toward this new creation, that, that we will be fulfilled. There will come a day when that joy, that, that fleeting, lasting joy lasts forever and ever. He has defeated death, and he has defeated sin. And as he has done that, he has reversed evil. He has taken away Satan's weapons, and he has defeated Satan himself. Listen to what Hebrews 2 says. This is such a good passage. It's, it's just amazing. I, I don't know why. I just found it last week. I preached on Hebrews before. Did anybody remember when I preached on Hebrews 2? I need to do it again because this is unbelievable. It says, It was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist should be made the founder, we're going to come back to that word founder, of their salvation, perfect through suffering. And then it says this, He himself partook of the same flesh and blood so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. He has, through death, destroyed the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. He has, uh, he has invited Satan to, to punch him as hard as he wants to so that he can see him, watch Satan fall when he has no weapons left. Satan, uh, Satan impales him with his sword, and instead of dodging it, Jesus just pulls the sword in. All of it. In doing that, he gets Satan within his reach, and he takes away his weapons. Does Satan still exist? Yes. We're going to talk about him next week and what he does and what he cannot do. And what I want you to know right now is he is toothless. You know Red, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Remember that old, old video? I love it. And uh, they're all scared of the abominable snowman until Clarence, the dentist, gets up there and, and pulls the abominable's teeth. And he shows up, and he's not scary anymore because he's got no teeth. And he puts stars on tops of Christmas trees now because he's got no teeth. We don't have to be afraid of him anymore. And, and Satan, though he is still alive and though he is still angry, he has no teeth. He cannot destroy you with sin. He cannot destroy you with death. The, very, the worst he can do to you is usher you into the arms of your Savior, Savior faster than you thought you would. When he takes away our children, as painful as that is, and as much as we mourn that, we can at least look at them and go, you're never going to know the pain of heartache. You're never going to know the pain of, of watching others die. You've been rescued from this world of death, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Satan cannot hurt us. His teeth have been taken away. And what does Jesus say about him? Jesus comes into this world. The, the cosmology of the world is, is very different than you think. Satan really did run it for a long time through sin and death he ran the world and Jesus establishes this foothold and you remember what he said to Peter 
He said, Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And somehow we kind of put that into a defensive posture, as if Satan's going to attack us with a bunch of gates. But that's, that's not how it works. Gates are try to withstand conquest, and Jesus is saying our conquest will not fail. It will not. As crazy as it is, it started with 12 people. And, and the entire Roman Empire stood against it. And, and the Emperor Diocletian used, just absolutely bore his teeth and insisted that the reason why Rome was suffering so badly and, and it was in a bad economic place and all these other things was because these Christians weren't worshiping all of Roman's gods and he tried to persecute them and destroy them. And, and one of his uh, assistants, one of his secretaries, uh, Julian, who, was, who himself became emperor, said, we will never be able to destroy this faith because Christians take care of their poor. They take care of our own poor better than we do. And it wasn't a hundred years later that instead of being the persecuting power that Rome was, it became the center of the church. It, it, we see that story acted out over and over throughout history. Uh, and during the Enlightenment, there was a writer named Voltaire who despised Christianity. In 1776, he said, now that we, we've arrived in the Enlightenment and we know so much and we know miracles aren't true, in a hundred years, the Bible won't even exist anymore except as a book of mythology that people will read for fun. Less than 50 years later, his, his home in Geneva was bought. And the very printing press that he used to print that tract was starting to be, started being used to print Bibles. And, his, and Bibles were, were distributed from his home in Geneva for years. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. But we're not going to lose. I mean, if, if nothing else, every time you see an African-American Christian, you should just be in awe of the power of the gospel. African Americans learned the gospel from their slave owners, from evil people. But the truth of the gospel could not even be extinguished by that. And the truth of the gospel strengthened them and enabled them to tolerate and, and, and live through terrible persecution until their church is strong and slavery is abolished the founder of our salvation through death destroyed the one who had the power of death. And he delivered all of us who through fear of death were slaves. So what's left for us to do? Well, remember I told you we were going to come back to that word founder. It, it's mentioned again in Hebrews 12. Jesus, the founder of our faith. Now, that word is, is hard to explain. It's only found twice in the Bible. And if you get five different versions of the Bible, you'll probably get five different translations. Um, author of the faith, some will say hero of the faith. It's a word that's not used very often in Greek literature. And when it is, most often it's used to refer to uh, Hercules of all people. And some people translate it champion. Not the kind of champion that, you know, wins the West Conference one year or whatever. Uh, but the, the kind of champion that you put your hopes in. He is your champion. Like Goliath and David, our champion. And what, is, what does Hebrews 12 tell us to do? 
fix your eyes upon Jesus, the, the champion of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. What, what is left for us to do? To make Jesus our champion. To trust him to defeat the sin within us and the world around us and to walk with him. What is left for us to do? To fix our eyes upon him and trust him to walk us through the darkness uh, of living in a, in, a, in a body that is dying every day. What is left for us to do? To realize that we are his hope. Why did Jesus withstand the cross? For the joy that was set before him. What was the joy? Not glory. He'd already had that. Not living as the Lord of space, time, and dimension. He'd already had that. The only thing he didn't have was us. The only thing he didn't have was us. We are the joy set before him. We are the, the prize that the champion won. And the more we realize that and make that the, our fundamental truth, the more we experience the, the life of the new heavens and the new earth today. We've got no debt. We've got no fear. Jesus has conquered death. He's conquered sin. He's conquered Satan and made him a public humiliation. Let him be your champion. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us the grace to come behind this champion, Jesus. Would you give us the, the faith to believe that he prizes us, that we are his hope, that we are his joy. And out of that faith, out of that knowledge, would we, would we receive him? and follow him. It is, name in the, is in the name of the powerful, perfect champion, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.